Welcome to the Heroes of Reality Podcast, a podcast about the game of life and the hero's journey we all experience. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest. Are you interested in neurohacking? How about anti-aging? Do you want to figure out the best ways to be able to hack your body? Well, on today's podcast, I have James Mockenbugger. He is a successful serial entrepreneur with a lifelong focus using business and innovation to affect large-scale change for the benefit of humanity. James is the co-founder and CEO of the Neurohacker Collective, a company focused on making groundbreaking products for health and well-being through complex system science. His areas of expertise include neurotropics, anti-aging, regenerative medicine, sleep, and fast-paced entrepreneurialism. So without any delay, I'd like to welcome James. Hey! Hey, Dylan. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. I'm super I'm super excited to wrap with you. Uh, you know, we are recently talking earlier about having mutual friends in the Burning Man space and, and kind of how... Uh, you know, when you start to get this this weird eclectic space of, you know, um, high end science benefit humanities, it's a kind of a filter uh, to meet cool people. So um, I'm really excited to wrap with you and uh, and to figure out how to stop aging. <laughs> well, I don't know about stopping it, but you know, there's, there's some decent work being done on slowing it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to stop all the I want to just perfectly uh, my my young and delicate age. I'm currently at. No, I'd love it. Though, seriously, though, it's it's a really fascinating uh, topic of anti aging, and it's a really fascinating thing to be able to kind of hack your own biology to 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 be able to slow that down to any degree whatsoever. Because I mean, one of the best resources we could ever have like one of the most valuable assets it's not money right it's not it's time how much time do we get on this planet is so critical right and so i mean i'd love to learn just a little bit about your the genesis the origin of your story of what got you in this whole neurohacking space yeah i mean it's definitely like a multi-part journey yeah. but you know i think where like what stands out to me is like one of the biggest moments in this is um so I had a little bit of a weird life arc, right? I, I didn't do school traditionally, started things a lot younger than people normally do. So I ended up, um, when I was 18, I ended up raising money and buying a vocational college um, that taught alternative medicine and psychology. Okay, so you're Xavier, you bought the school and, I, and now you bring people into it. Beautiful, okay, let's get going from yeah, here. Yeah, that's kind of the goal. So I, yeah, I mean, I, I've been a student there before, just like completely fell in love with the work. I, like I was going through all these huge transformations myself, doing all this like deep personal development work, all these alternative forms of you know, psychological development. And I was like, this is, you know, this is on purpose. This is what I want to do in the world. This is what I want to help other people do. Um, and so this opportunity arose to take over the school. I had no idea what I was doing, didn't understand business, but was, um, crazy enough to give it a try um so I, yeah so i ended up taking over the school and and it was an amazing experience i you know because I, I really got to devote my energy and my life to something that i was completely passionate about that i felt like was making a big difference in the world but i also had no business skill so i was just i, I was in this weird place of being totally on purpose, totally in passion, but also burning out really quickly because what I didn't have in the way of knowledge, I was making up for with hours. 
And for mm. the first like three-ish years, I worked a good 20 plus hours a day. Like I basically lived at the office. I would take a nap under my desk. I'd get back to work. Um, and so by the time I was like 21, I ended up hitting a pretty intense stage of burnout. Mm -hmm. uh, I was starting to go into adrenal failure. I was, uh, my memory was shot. My cognition wasn't working well. I was starting to feel really depressed, which then threw me into like an existential crisis. Cause here I am like, oh, I'm doing this work that I'm so passionate about. And yet I'm actually miserable. Um, and that's kind of where a lot of things kicked off for me. Cause at that point, like the dissonance was too much and just the experience of life was too unpleasant. So, okay, I've got to heal. I've got to figure out how do I get to a place where I can be on purpose, but actually enjoy life um, and heal all the damage done from burnout. So I started like going into a progressively more experimental kind of phase of life and was trying all kinds of uh, different health hacks, psychology hacks, um, and there are a lot of things that made a difference, but there was a particular therapy I got introduced to that was sort of like world changing for me. Yeah. I ended up going down to this clinic in Mexico where a research physician had developed this type of IV therapy for rapidly healing neurotransmitter damage. Um, he had actually developed a therapy to help people heal from addiction. Um, but when I met with him, he's like, you know, even though you don't have an addiction, not sleeping for three years has basically caused your brain to look like that of a heroin addict. Um, so he's like, I think this thing will work for you. So I went down and I did three days of IVs for like nine hours a day. Yeah. Um, and it just completely changed everything. Um, in the course of three days, I went from feeling depressed to feeling like happy and excited about life, feeling motivated, having way more energy, all the cognitive challenges that had been happening went away. And I started to experience a level of cognitive function I hadn't before. Uh, and, you know, there was just this like increased sense of capacity of drive to make things happen in the world. But then like the piece that really stood out to me and where this kind of created the arc that eventually became Merrill Hacker was my sense of empathy just shot through the roof. And it became such that like, I couldn't think about what I was going to do in the world and not automatically start being aware of what the broader implications were. How is that going to impact the people around me? How is that going to impact the community? How is that going to impact the world? And as I was reflecting on that experience, I was like, Oh shit. What if this could be replicated? Right? What if we could actually do something where you know, using the right approaches to biochemistry, we could have people become dramatically more intelligent in a, in a really comprehensive kind of way, right? Not just more focused, but like really have better discernment, better capacity to make sense of the world. If, you know, with that, if we can make people feel more competent, more capable, have more drive and become more empathetic so that there became an intrinsic motivation to use that drive, not just for personal gain, but for the greater good. I was mm. like, oh, this, this is something <laughs> to devote to. And so that was really like the, the kind of kickoff inspiration for what then shaped the next 20 or so years. It's super interesting when you look at a lot of times when we get passionate about a certain thing, 
right? We have, say, say we have these burners of life, right? We have our, we have a stove and there's four burners. There's, a, there's the, what you have in terms of your body, right? And you have your relationships and then you have your business and then you have, you know, say spirituality. When we get really obsessed with, say, business, we turn off those other burners and we get more fuel on that one. But what we don't understand is that over time, by not having those other burners on, we start to slowly lose all of the power that's coming out of that one burner for business. And then you're just completely burnt out. Right. right? And so it seems like you basically revved that up, got that going, and then everything, then and it slowly trickled down from 100 to 80 to 70, 60. And then you were able to kind of heal up yourself and your soul and, and whatever else, your neuros and brain inside your body, be able to get more out of you, which is, I think is incredible. When, when you did that, what's coming to my mind, I don't know if it is, and you talked about a therapy, was this, was this, um, was this like something like Ibogaine, something like that? Because I'm thinking of addictions, I'm thinking of Mexico, and I'm thinking of rewriting the, the chemicals. Is that what it was that what did to your, to, to your body? Is that what you went through? No, no, actually, um, like psychedelics came a few years later. Um, mm. No, this was, I mean, still to this day, I don't know exactly what was in it, um, but to the best of my understanding, it was largely NAD. Oh, right. And then a, a mix of different amino acids and then a couple of secret ingredients that they never shared with me. Um, sure. Yeah. But, that's awesome. You know, I mean, the NAD, I think, was kind of the, the key thing. And, you know, now that's become way more popular. A lot of people understand it, have utilized it. But I mean, this mm -hmm. is going back 20 years and um, it wasn't a thing back then. Yeah. Well, I think there's, I mean, one is awareness, right? The, the other one is someone might be aware, but they don't actually have it be a part of their daily life, right? They might be, oh, I've, I've heard that before, but how do I, how do I go from getting aware of it to actually taking on action of it to actually have it be an integrated part of my life as, as, as right. a thing? And, and that's really interesting. I heard those drips. I don't know that is it, is it, when you get the drip put into your system, does it burn? Is it really intense to, to get those NAD drips uh, going through you? Or is it, you didn't really notice or care? No, no, it's, I mean, so it doesn't really burn. It can a little bit, but that's not the main thing. Um, while you're actually on the drip, mm -hmm. for most people, you just feel utterly terrible. Right? Like it's, there's, a, it's kind of this combination of like dizziness and nausea, but rather than nausea in your GI tract, it's like your bloodstream is nauseous. Oh, it's really strange. <laughs> Um, like, you know, when I first was doing it, I was like, oh, I'm going to, you know, be sitting here for hours. I'm going to like get some work done on my laptop. And then I was like, oh no, I'm just going to lay here and stare at the ceiling. <laughs> Man, the, the better the medicine, the better it is for you. Right. And I mean, you feel incredible afterwards. And like, I mean, even within a few minutes of the drip stopping, like yeah. the negative feelings go away and you start to feel progressively better. But the actual experience while you're doing it for most yeah. people is pretty terrible. Yeah, that's that's well, it, it's awesome. Um, and I want to take just one step back of what caused you to have the up all nights? What was the struggle that you had in your business in your Xavier school that caused you to be up every night and, and do that grind? What were the, what were the main things that you're that you're struggling with at that phase? I mean, there was a bunch of things. Like, I mean, one of it was like, it was, it was a small business and yeah. didn't have you know, enough cash flow a lot of times. So I mean, there was a huge amount of stress around finances and like, Hey, can I make payroll? Can I mm. keep the lights on? Um, you know, and then like, and I think that's always stressful. And then for me, it felt a little bit compounded because it was like, it wasn't just keeping a business open. It was like keeping purpose alive. Right. Yeah. And not knowing whether or not I could actually make that come together. 
Um, mm. So I think that was a big one. But then also, like, because I didn't know business at all and I didn't understand organizational structures, but I had a good memory, I just memorized everything. Um, and so, like, literally for the first few years, I knew every single student, I knew exactly what classes they were in, I knew what their attendance records were like, I knew when their next payment for tuition was coming up. And like, this was all just in my head because I didn't know how to organize it on a computer. <laughs> and so like, as cool as that was in certain ways, I just couldn't shut it off because there was so much unnecessary data just constantly bouncing around in there. And it was like, and there was part of me that was sort of like prideful of it and thought it was cool, right? I'm like, oh, I can you know, retain all this information. But the reality is it was like crushing my soul because it was taking up all of my mental space and there was yeah. no room left for the rest of life. Mm. So got it. And then that's the thing. Sometimes we're prideful about the things that don't serve us and that, that, that can be a hindrance. And then the other one being is the like, going into this business it's it's interesting how sometimes like you have a purpose but you don't have the competency to do the purpose so you make it up with effort and because right. of that you, you have the extra compounding fears you have the like i'm gonna let down my purpose i'm not, i'm gonna fail at this and you have these insecurities eating at your rpms right so you have so much bandwidth have insecurities inadequacies compounding with this deep desire to make it happen i mean but that's part of that growth on the hero's journey is like i am so incompetent but i really want this to work right over you time just describe most of my adult life <laughs> <laughs> but that's what it is when, you, when you're younger i think of like i don't know if you ever watched like naruto and anime at all ever but um mm -hmm. in the animes right there's you, you make it up with effort right you do tons of effort in the beginning but as you become masters you just do a boop one little thing but it's so efficient that it right. does it, it compounds all of that effort over time so walk me through this you you grinded and you got some things going you went and you healed up you then had a revelation that revelation being hey what if i did something like this to serve other people if i'm having this problem chances are other people are having this problem as well and then you stepped in that next phase so what did that next phase look like for you um well i apparently i'm stubborn and i learn slowly my wife says the same thing as if you're... <laughs> yeah i mean i i continued to do the like excessive effort thing for a lot of years past that yeah, okay. um, I, like you know I, I kept running that school for another like six seven years after that um and and that did become progressively easier but then as it got progressively easier i was like oh i can add more stuff to my place there's other purposes to do as well um so like you know, while I was running the school, I started doing a bunch of deep dive research into uh, nootropics and anti-aging and cognitive sciences and, you know, trying to figure out, like, how how do I actually replicate that profound experience and make it accessible? So there was, like, all this, like, research and meetings going on in the background. Um, but I also ended up uh, getting pulled really heavily into the cannabis world. Um, and... I ended up starting a dispensary, which then you know, kind of brought me a lot closer to what was happening and seeing how dramatic of life improvements people were experiencing, being able to use cannabis as a medicine, especially in place of a lot of pharmaceuticals. But when I got into it, it was you know, years and years ago, there was still a huge amount of stigma um, that caused people to be terrified to let anyone in the world know. 
um, there was still like virtually no legislation around it. So that ended up becoming a big part of my life experience. Um, over the course of a number of years, I ended up doing a lot of like documentary and public education work on the topic, which then kind of pulled me into the policy side. I spent like seven years running a lot of the legalization campaigns that were happening. Um, and then to be able to fund the legalization campaigns, I just started launching a ton of cannabis businesses to then roll all the money into trying to change legislation and educate people. Um, so I ended up over a number of years launching something like 20 cannabis companies and another like 15 political campaigns. Um, so, and it was still like, there was very much a purpose thing. Right? It wasn't, and it wasn't even that I cared that much about cannabis as much as the bigger picture of ending prohibitionary concepts because they're so fundamentally failed and deployed in really unfortunate and for lack of a better way of saying it, relatively racist ways. Um, right. So it was like, there was, there was helping the people directly with cannabis, but there was a much bigger picture that I was trying to work on with that. So again, it was like this huge thing of purpose and passion, but it's still just working ungodly hard, launching all of these things. Um, took me a long time to learn how to actually balance that out and be able to have something or some things that I was deeply passionate about that I wanted to affect in the world and do that in a way that created some semblance of life balance that actually left room for you know, family, for connection, for personal growth, for taking care of my body. And honestly, I'm still learning that. It's not, not something that I would say I've mastered by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, I've gotten progressively better as the, the years have gone on. Yeah, yeah. The, it's, well, the awareness and then taking steps towards the awareness and, and getting there. But there's a certain amount of like tons of effort, but not because you don't want to, but just because there's an obsessive quality. I know for myself, sometimes I get obsessed with things. It's very hard for me to put it down. And then I, I don't always do all the things that would probably keep me healthy. I just kind of just go towards that thing. And so there's a because sometimes it's the fun game we play right? as, as entrepreneurs in, in the space uh, with looking at the this anti-aging nootropics things like that what do you what do you think are some things that people are unaware of about this about this space that might be common knowledge for you hmm. i mean a lot of things um mm -hmm. probably you know i mean this, this has been a core part of my life for many years now mm -hmm. um, i mean i think it, you know like there's obviously lots of individual things but at a high level it's like most people aren't aware how incredible the opportunities, you know, from tech to supplementation to like just different kinds of biohacks exist for being able to dramatically uplevel the quality of life in almost any domain. Uh, I mean, the, the kinds of opportunities and research and products now that exist in like the nootropic world and how much that can do not only for increasing brain function in terms of things like you know memory focus processing speed but actually improve quality of life factors right? helping to increase mood allowing you to feel more confident better about yourself more capable and driven to actually show up to the world and things like you know how to, how to use some of these technologies to feel more present more capable of things like you know, love and 
devotion and you know using some of them to deepen meditative practices right? it's like there, there's so many extraordinary tools that exist now mm-hmm. but they're still not commonly known about and and i think a lot of people are actually a little bit even if it does come into their awareness they're nervous to explore it because there's also so much kind of garbage in the space right? like there's an incredible amount of things that have popped up where it's really just a marketing company that needed a product to push and so but they you know kind of pitch it and label it in the same ways as something that's really amazing um and so for most people it's like it's really hard to differentiate and so even if they're generally aware that you know something like nootropics can be really powerful as a way of improving quality of life there's often still a reticence to actually lean into that exploration mm. So let's just say someone had a desire, but not the understanding of what steps they need to take. You know, what would be the one, two, three steps that you would suggest to somebody for for starting to kind of put their toe in the water of nootropics and overall anti-aging? Well, I mean, I'm sure people have heard this before, right? But kind of first and foremost, it's like before you start getting into the biohacks, before you start getting into nootropics and you know, crazy kinds of supplements and tech, like make sure the basics are dialed in. Um, if you're not sleeping well, if you don't have consistent exercise, if you're living on McDonald's, like then all of the hacks can be helpful, but nowhere near as helpful as they can be. If the actual, just kind of like baseline of life is taken care of. Um, and I, I tend to mention that a lot because I see so often as people do move into the biohacking world that they try to use it as like a shortcut to not have to do those things. And it's like, oh, I can eat whatever I want, and then I'm just going to take, you know, some nootropics and a green powder, and I'm good. It's like, no, it doesn't quite work that way. Right? There, there has to be a good baseline, and then you get extraordinary benefit on top of that. Um, mm. But then, yeah, I mean, diving into, you know, the world of nootropics, like, I mean, I guess for people who aren't familiar with that term, right? sure. nootropic basically is any compound that is known to be able to like meaningfully enhance one or more areas of brain function without consequence right so people get a little confused with that sometimes because you have a lot of people that take things like adderall um, which will definitely ramp up focus and attention but it's going to have a whole series of negative consequences on the back end Mm. right so i wouldn't personally classify that as a nootropic because it it does have certain benefits but with a lot of consequence nootropic is generally going to be a safe compound or series of compounds. Um, and then within that, it's like what people need is going to vary tremendously based on their individual physiology, based on what their mm-hmm. goals are. Um, you know, one of the things, so like in an ideal world, everyone does a deep dive and actually understands neuroscience pretty extensively and can like custom make their own formulas that are exactly what they need. Um, and it's just not realistic. <laughs> that's like years of study. Um, so, you know, the thing that we tried to do at Neurohacker, and I think we've been quite successful with it, was to take this uh, essentially complex system science or like whole systems approach to understanding physiological systems and then formulation. And with that, rather than trying to increase or decrease particular biomarkers or particular neurotransmitters, what we're focused on is bringing systems into balance and then increasing 
capacity and adaptability from a place of balance. Mm -hmm. And so with that approach, you know, we tend to make these very complex formulas that have a lot of different ingredients in them um, because we're working on affecting each of the different neural pathways, but not to ramp them up as much as to provide the base nutrients they need to be fundamentally healthy and then for the body to be able to create more or less of whatever's needed in real time. Mm -hmm. And you know, one of the key goals here is how do we increase people's adaptive capacity to life? Because what you need right now and what you need tomorrow are likely not the same thing. Got it. So then if I understand you correctly, let's just step through this. I'm going to pick one person and we're going Johnny, right? You know, Johnny is a overworked entrepreneur that maybe has been sleeping on his couch for a while and he just wakes up, grinds, goes back under his couch, gets up again, right? Got some success going. He's like, okay, I need to get my life good. Starts eating healthy, starts probably having some green drinks and exercising and doing the things he knows he needs to do. Now he wants to increase his capacity to do more, be more and all of that stuff, but he's not a neuroscientist. He doesn't know that. Right. So then what it sounds like is is you 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 do some sort of test. I don't fully understand this. You you, you get an, an understanding of maybe their blood work or something else. And you say, OK, this is you're going to need uh, this cocktail, this complex cocktail of neurotropics to be able to increase your capacity. And I don't know what those things would be necessarily. You know, but maybe it's I don't know, uh, lion's mane and something else, and something else. I'm I don't know what that would be. But is that what you is that what you do? If they if they get the thing, if they recognize as a problem. They then fix the basic needs. They understand they're not a scientist, so they don't want to go and do that and or try to deconstruct it. Uh, and they, but they want to step in the space. And then you help them get awareness by doing a kind of a precision cocktail based upon their their need in that moment, knowing that in that moment it's going to change five years from now. Sort of, but in many ways, it's actually better than that right sure, yeah, there, exactly. there is this path of saying okay you know let's let's run lab work on you uh -huh. and figure out what you need right now we're going to give you that and then you know six months later we're going to redo the lab work and change it uh -huh. um and in many ways that's an extraordinary path though extremely hard for people to access um yeah. and um but yeah i mean where where people have the money and the access to the right doctors to do that awesome Mm -hmm. um, what we tried to do was essentially bypass a lot of that need while still providing the same in benefit. And okay. so, you know, rather than setting it up where people have to come in and do blood labs before they can start with the product, we just did an ungodly amount of research up front. Basically, you know, we did this meta analysis of essentially every study that had ever been done on brain function, on every ingredient for brain function but also a lot of study on individual physiology and how it's different from one person to the next. So we processed you know, huge amounts of blood labs, genetic labs, everything to look at, like what are the common issues, common variances, and how do those change? And then factor that into the design of essentially one core product for brain function. Mm -hmm. um, and so you actually don't necessarily even have to change what you're taking over time. Because the nature of how we ended up formulating it allows the body to naturally produce more and less of each of the different neurotransmitters mm -hmm. as time progresses based on this one single formula. Got it. Uh, and it's not that there are other great things to add to it, but this is like the baseline that will do 90% of what people are looking for.
Got it. So more or less, uh, you, you have some sort of 11 herbs and spices of bioavailability of these different ingredients, right? You give them, you give the max amount of these, of these different ingredients, and depending on my own personal bioavailability or what it might be, I absorb it into my body uh, based upon where I'm at. And I'm just trying to, can you, and I know that's a very bro sciencey way to try to communicate this. <laughs> But I would love for you to 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 kind of more eloquently explain to me, uh, okay, what are some of the things in it? What are some of the benefits? What do some of those things look like? And 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 how would it help me practical, tactical on a day to day basis as I'm going out and trying to expand my possibilities? Right. Yeah. So I mean, there's there's a there's a bunch of different neurotransmitters, right? But there mm -hmm. there's a handful of key ones that people have some familiarity with, right? like dopamine, serotonin, choline, right? each of those are going to affect different kinds of brain function, right? So dopamine is um, like the reward system, right? When you get more dopamine, you feel like you did something good. You're reinforced to want to do more of that, but it's also critical in increasing things like focus and attention span. Um, but the way that our life is with, you know, these constant dopamine hits from scrolling social media, dopamine hits from, you know, eating sugary, salty, fatty foods, right? We, where for a lot of time, people kind of thought you just want to increase dopamine because it does all these good things. Our system's actually flooded with it a lot of times in a way that you then start to become desensitized and not be able to get all the benefit. So, you know, the, within our formulation, we're doing a few things. We're providing ingredients that help your body be able to produce more dopamine but not as just a constant state to be able to produce it when the right kind of stimulus comes into play, but then also to be able to balance it against other neurotransmitters and to sort of resensitize some of the uh, receptor sites. Mm. So where we're often just overly flooded with dopamine, we can then start to kind of reset the system and get to a place where we begin to be able to create more of it and use it when we need to, but when we don't actually be able to have it ramped down the way that it naturally should. Um, mm. And then, you know, like, and then, you know, serotonin, for instance, is um, primarily associated with mood, right? Mm -hmm. When you have more serotonin, you tend to be happier. Um, you tend to have a you know, sweeter, easier, more positive outlook on life. Mm -hmm. But when you have too much serotonin, then you tend to just sort of go into these like overly happy la la states, but without a lot of productivity attached. Right. Sure. And so, you know, again, here, the goal, the way that we're formulating is we're, we're providing for each different neurotransmitter, we're using multiple different ingredients that hit the pathway at different points. And so depending on where you have need, it's essentially able to support virtually everybody. There's obviously going to be outliers in any, Kind of standard formula but here the goal is to be able to allow your body to produce more serotonin so you do feel happier but again to produce it in relative balance and proportion to all the other ones so mm. then you don't go too deep into dopamine and become really hyper focused and miserable or go too deep into the kind of a serotonin path where you're really happy but not get anything done super overly simplistic yeah you know, and i and i appreciate the overly simplistic this, this is helpful so in in some ways it, it kind of cleans cleans and scrubs the receptor sites which allows you to kind of be able to have better access cleaner access and right when you need it to to it to a degree um and 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 and, and uh 
and when I say this, what's coming to mind for me, and I don't know if you're going to take offense to this or not, but I'm going to say it anyways, uh, because we'll see what happens. It might make for something interesting. It almost sounds like, uh, almost like a multivitamin for neurohacking, where it gives you all the base needs based upon what you need. And then it's able to kind of feed in your, your, uh, neurology based upon what are the chemicals you need to be rebalanced. Is that in essence? Yes. Right. Again, like it's, it's overly simplistic. significant simplification. Significant. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it is it's like the, when you really dive into the study of the brain or I mean, any yeah. aspect of physiology, but particularly the brain and nervous system, it's fucking incredible how brilliant that system is, right? How complex, how adaptive, how, how just fundamentally intelligent it is. And Absolutely. Sort of like the goal isn't to change it. The goal yeah. is actually to support it doing what it naturally does best. Yeah. And unfortunately our life does the opposite of that. Right. The, you know, the amount of time we spend on screens is frying all kinds of yeah. shit. It's, you know, causing excessive stressors. We have terrible nutrition that's throwing off our chemistry all over the place. We have a level of stress and time pressure that human physiology was never adapted for. Yeah. Right? Um, so there's all these things that are causing these brilliant systems yeah. to work out of balance. Yeah. Our goal is basically bring it back into balance and experience life the way that physiology is designed to be able to operate. Yeah, hundred percent. And and part of this is that the map is not the terrain, right? So what I'm saying is a map. It does not match the terrain of what it is that you're explaining, but it helps me wrap my head and helps me re communicate this in a way that like, okay, cool. Okay. I, I get what that, you know, what that 11 herbs and spices, multivitamin, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure you don't have herbs and spices, <laughs> in that, right? <laughs> but it's, but it helps me, it helps to wrap my head around the concept that they say, okay, cool. Based upon that map, how can we then take the next couple of steps along the way? Right. And so, right. um, when I, what I think is fascinating about this too, is what is, cause you talked about this before as someone who very much overly has been accused of overly ramping his systems where I, I've gone into cycles of coffee where I go, you know what? Coffee, one coffee a day is great. What about 12? Maybe 12 is even better. Right. right? And, and, and then oddly enough, it doesn't work so well for me. I don't know why it's a, it's, it's a weird thing with, and I'll catch myself accidentally ramping up. And so right now for myself personally, I'm on one coffee a day. I can get one. That's all I get. No more. Otherwise I will slowly ramp up and then I'll just, you know, throttle my adrenals and everything else. And then I'm a wreck. And now I play this game and, and try, try to get out of the cycle of eating crappy food, feeling tired. So then drinking excessive coffee. So then flooding the system and then, and then hitting those types of cycles versus when I get in the patterns of clean eating, you know, having nutrients, putting things in my body, I operate a lot better. So trying to break that um, pattern of, I would say the, uh, the, um, the American standard diet of, of productivity and laziness uh, combined together into one little bucket. Um, so with, with that being said, what is your take on, on this thing, on this topic? What is your take around dopamine fasting? What are your thoughts around that concept of saying that in order to reset this stuff, not only do you need to have a, well, actually, let me just throw that to you in terms of dopamine, however, fasting, however you want to explain it. Right. Yeah. So I guess, I mean, so just frame that real quick in case people aren't familiar with the concept. Yes, please. The, the idea with dopamine fasting is that, so like, like we said before, dopamine is essentially the reward chemical, right? Mm -hmm. you, anything 
good that happens, you get a hit of dopamine, which is what chemically reinforces that this thing was good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then usually causes you to want more of that thing. And, you know, with the world in which we live, it's like when you're scrolling through your social media feed super quickly and, you know, each time you're seeing a pretty picture, you're seeing, you know, this thing that's exciting, that's inspirational, you're just getting these constant dopamine hits or anytime you're eating something that's calorically dense, something that's you know, sweet, salty, fat, like you're getting these dopamine hits. Um, and so what ends up happening for most people is we essentially become a dopamine addictive, right? More than an actual addiction to the food or the screen or even the drug. Oftentimes what's happening is you're getting addicted to the physiological response that's happening in relationship to those things. And you end up just chasing more and more of them. And so dopamine fasting is essentially intentionally choosing to stay away from stimulus and not cause these big dopamine hits so that your brain, your biochemistry can essentially reset to being able to appreciate life in more smaller and nuanced kind of ways instead of needing these more extreme kinds of things to get you there. Uh, it's kind of like, I don't know if you, know if you guys have ever done fasting, but mm-hmm. you know, like I've gone on very extended fasts before. And then when I break the fast and I have like a piece of celery, oh my God, it tastes amazing, right? It's like, <laughs> how, could, how could I have never known that celery is this good? <laughs> But it always was. It just wasn't in contrast to the sugar, right? uh, (laughs) It's like as soon as that gets reset, all of a sudden these smaller things become beautiful. And in many ways, it's actually you're experiencing reality much more for what it is. Um, Versus versus your your addiction and adaption to all of those pleasures along the way. I had a small little thing on this, and I want you to jump back into it, is I did a a big old cleanse because I went to – one of my first trips to Peru, I did a bunch of plant medicine and all that jazz. And I was, I was super scared that mother ayahuasca was going to beat the crap out of me. Right. So a month long, right. I did, I did, I had eggs and green drink and that was it. There was no salts. There was no spices. There was no sugars. There was no nothing, nothing. Right. And I just, that's all I did. And the first time I had like salt, right. And I was like, Whoa, what is this? You know, I had, it was, it was the most intense it, it, you know, I could, my mouth is watering just from that situation, but realizing it's like, when's the last time you've gone without salt, right? It's in everything, everything. And if you think about that, the, the dope means and the pleasures and the rewards and the, Hey, let me, let me give you a little hint of awesome, right? It's in everything that's out there and think of and fasting. I haven't done it for that long. I've done a couple of days. I think two days was my longest. And I'm like, Oh my God. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready to hit 40 here and I, in my entire life, I've only gone two days without food. How privileged am I to be able to experience life with the fact that, oh my God, that I don't even know what it's like to be that hungry. So please, please continue. But I want to alley-oop that over to you as you're explaining dopamine fasting and what is it like to actually sample something after taking a break from it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think dopamine fasting is crucial. Um, yeah. And because I mean, so one of the things that people don't often think about is so, you know, physiology takes 
tens of thousands, if not millions of years to adapt or evolve. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, but technology evolves at an extremely fast pace. So our physiology is still adapted to a pre-industrial world. Right? The world where you didn't have everything that you wanted accessible at your fingertips all the time, where you didn't have time pressures, you didn't have you know, basically all of what modern life is. Yeah. Right? We're adapted for the world basically you know, living out in nature with the elements, having to actually work really hard to get our food, having to work really hard to build our houses, right? You don't just mail a check and it exists. Um, and so in that world, you weren't getting these intense dopamine hits all the time. And when you were getting them, they were accompanied with work, right? When you would actually go and get to eat a bunch of sweet fruit and get the dopamine hit from that, you probably trekked miles around to get all of those fruits. Yeah. And that's actually what we're designed for, right? Is to have dopamine hits be accompanied by effort. And the challenge with modern society, one of the many, right? Is we get all of these dopamine hits without effort. Mm -hmm. And it makes us progressively more lazy and progressively more addictive. Yeah. And so you want to get to a place where ideally a large portion of the positive reward dopamine hits you're getting are actually associated with effort. Right? So yeah. like working out is a good example of that, right? You get a meaningful dopamine hit from working out, but you have to put in the effort and you actually at a deep level feel far better about yourself as a result of that um, versus just you know, eating the piece of chocolate and getting a similar kind of feeling, but you don't feel, but, but you didn't do much for it, right? So it's like, what we want to do is start accompanying effort to these positive reward systems and starting to intentionally decrease the exposure to the positive reward systems without the associated effort. Yeah. Uh, and that's in many ways what a dopamine fast is. It's like staying away from screens, staying away from, you know, sweet foods, staying away from extreme stimulus for a period of time to let your system reset. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, that's, and that was the thing is like, it, and the thing is like, it's hard to give up that people want to be that super strong, superhero, incredible person. Right. But at the same time, we, we want to have our cake too. Right. We want to, we want the, we want the comfort. We want the enjoyment. So it's like getting away from that is, is super critical. And for me, I needed some sort of incentive, um, like plant medicine and not being catapulted into the cosmos violently. And, um, I actually had a, a, a really interesting experience about it. And I want to want to get your perspective on this, um, a, a little bit about the topic. Um, I'm assuming you have some experience and we can dive into it on biofeedback devices. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I was wearing the aura ring. Um, while I was doing plant medicines and junk. Oh yeah, look at it. Mine's in the other room. Uh, but mine was the old ones, the big fat one, no one. It, yeah. it looks like this one. Yeah. So I have the big fat one, but I took the aura ring, uh, when I was in, I was in, uh, Peru and I did, you know, no, normally the aura ring kind of goes whoop, like this ring kind of goes like this the whole time. Right. I did like five and a half hours of straight REM looking stuff while on ayahuasca. It was a really interesting plant medicine thing where all of a sudden my thing went up, it was like this and it was just across the top. 
And I was like, I still to this day don't know what that means, but I was like, that is the weirdest graph I have seen. Um, looking right. at the aura ring, I don't know. I don't know what that means. I don't know if you had any thoughts huh. on that, but I was just, I don't know. No, it's really interesting. I, you know, I haven't actually looked at you know some of like those data sets in relationship to something like ayahuasca. Uh, but it, I mean, in many ways, it actually does make sense, right? Because yeah. you know, REM being a sort of dreamlike state. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, you know, when you're doing ayahuasca or, you know, many different forms of psychedelics, you're going into these very enhanced altered states that have a lot of uh, visuals and right? a lot of dreamlike kinds of experiences. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's actually not surprising that there's a correlation there. The part to me that's surprising with that is that, you know, REM is associated also with a state of sort of like rest or deep relaxation and with when you're on psychedelics you can at times go into these very deeply restful kinds of states but oftentimes you're in a very kind of like stimulated space getting you know huge amounts of new awarenesses ahas downloads um so it's yeah i mean it's interesting that you were able to be in that sort of dreamlike creative state and that down regulated simultaneously. Yeah. I'll see if I can go find that graph on it and share it with you when I go dig it up, man. I'll, uh, I yeah. had, I looked at, it, I was like, this is a weird, this is a weird looking thing. And I was just trying to understand it. And so, yeah, uh, it's, it, it's curious to me too. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know, uh, for you on your side, where you said part of this thing is, you know, you, you've done certain things like the IV drips and, you, and you've done other ways to kind of rejuvenate yourself. And we talked a little bit about this. How has spirituality played a role in your life? And, and have you learned anything from um, uh, ancient wisdoms and traditions that have any of these things had an impact on you? Because we went to the far side of the neurohacking, bringing it right. back to spirituality and um, ancient traditional cultural practices. Uh, did any of those have an effect on you that you'd like to share? Oh, for sure. Um, I mean, I think I, different kinds of spiritual practices have been a big part of my life pretty much as far back as I can remember. Mm. Uh, I was sort of born into the transcendental meditation movement. Um, so I, I grew up learning you know, transcendental meditation and starting to practice that and you know, getting to have some pretty beautiful meditative experiences of like merging with whatever you want to call it right at at young ages um, and kind of explored a lot of the different aspects of energy healing and mind over matter that were being presented to me at the time um, and i actually then you know, I, I actually went very, very deep into the spiritual world and started running some spiritual foundations um, and ended up through that process getting to see some of the, just call it dark underbelly that can also <laughs> exist in that world um, in a way that for a period of time actually traumatized me pretty badly. And oh, I no. just really broke in the entirely other direction and then spent several years identifying as an atheist. Yeah. Um, was that because of the way that humanity responded? Was there was there a dark underside of humanity that caused you to have that effect? Or are you talking more there's something 
um, uh, traumatizing or intense on the spiritual side itself with the absence of humans being involved in it? It was, it, for me, the, the piece that was most challenging was actually watching a lot of the spiritual teachers and how their unhealed parts would come out in really terrible ways. Um, and especially like, because I started a lot of it so young, I couldn't grasp a bigger picture around it and be able to be like, oh, people are nuanced, right? They have certain areas that are beautiful and certain areas that are maybe broken. Yeah, I just, I had this sort of all in thing. I was like, oh, if someone is supposedly a high level developed spiritual teacher with all of the spiritual capacity, they must be a good person. And when I came to realize that wasn't inherently true, I couldn't make sense of it for a long time. Um, mm. And you know, because of the things I got into, I was running a lot of the events and programs for a number of like the more well-known spiritual teachers that at least in the kind of the Southern California region. Um, and over time, like, they, they really were extraordinary people in many ways, but I also would see things where like they would treat their disciples terribly and they had these clear hierarchies where they were better than the people who followed them. And you know, some of them would hit their disciples with sticks when they didn't do what they wanted them to do. And just like, you know, shit that wasn't, it didn't fit my definition of just like being a basically good person. Yeah. Um, and there was a huge dissonance in that for me. Um, and so, you know, I went from this like deep spiritual kind of dive to, you know, fuck this, I'm now an atheist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and kind of went the hard science route for a number of years. Mm -hmm. And then over time, it was like, okay, there's, there's something in the middle because, you know, as much as I can logic that atheism makes sense and that, you know, I don't need a, connection to a higher power that probably doesn't exist there's something in that that feels inherently off mm -hmm. and there is still you know this deep part of me that feels like it's connected to a much bigger picture and so then you know, the last many years have been kind of a re-exploration of what does spirituality what does a relationship with a higher power look like and how does that translate into life and that's where plant medicine and psychedelics have been one of the most powerful tools for me. Yeah. It's super, it's super hard when, um, well, yeah, people can very easily get turned off from, uh, people treating other people poorly in anything. And one, one way to turn off anybody is you, you, you have people pe poor treating other people and they'll, and they'll turn them off to any, any sector. Um, and at the same time, it's very hard, at least from my own personal experience, to stay an atheist and do a whole lot of plant medicine. It's a yeah. very difficult thing to say. People say that, I go, great. Uh, how about you, here's a big bowl of this, you come back and we'll have a conversation because there's a thing that happens that a lot of people get into, you get, you feel connected to, to source, unity, God, you know, whatever you wanna call it, right? And you feel unity, a sense of being one with everything, both the individual speck of nothing and a part of the collective whole all together at once. And it's very hard to discount it once you've experienced it. You right. know, whether or not the, the guy with the stick is the guy who has all the answers, I don't know. But I know when you do that, it's something different. So how do you, and that's the thing we just, we're all kind of on searching to kind of find this. I don't, 
necessarily have the answer for that, but I could right. see how that would, because that's, it, 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 we're all, not we're all, but there's a certain tendency to seek. And when you seek that type of stuff, you get exposed to it. And now you have to reconcile what you experience with what you're trying to logic to be true. Um, right. Which is interesting. Um, yeah, I, mean, so, I, I think it's a continually like developing and unfolding process for everyone. Like, totally. There's so much that I know and feel and believe now that I didn't 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And, you know, there are places where I could say, yes, I've figured something out. But I don't because I'm clear that in 10 more years, <laughs> yeah, totally. the version that I have right now is going to seem wildly uninformed. <laughs> and, oh, I'm just saying. So it's like one of the things I've actually learned through the process of well, I mean, life, but particularly in spirituality, yeah. is the, the beauty and the importance of uncertainty. Mm. Um, and like I've come to sort of look at it as though the the willingness to not know is actually one of the greater signs of maturity. Um, where you know, for much of my life, I wanted to be able to have these definitive answers around things that are almost impossible to actually be definitive um, because they are esoteric, they're subjective, they're Right. And so it was like one of the key areas of development for me with the ability to go to a place of saying, here's my experience. And, you know, there's all these beautiful things associated with it. This is what I believe I know to be true. But even the things that I feel almost certain about, I'm as certain that I'm probably not right. And so I'm going to hold these ideas in love, but also loosely knowing and leaving room for them to continue to evolve. Yeah. What's, what's beautiful about that is this, is the fact that it's, it's objective truth versus subjective truth. And it's like, okay, what's the most beautiful painting or what's the most beautiful poetry? And it's like, well, it depends. And then the other half of that is we tend to question everything except for the things we truly believe and those things we never question. And if we do that, the, the better we get at becoming a master is, is then the fact that you 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 start to detach yourself from all things and you, then you totally question everything because you're like, okay, I've been around the block enough times. I've learned enough places. Okay, I understand that this too is just a moment in time of what I currently believe. And I'm not even attached to these beliefs. So that's, that's, a, that's a beautiful statement and thought. And so seeing you on this path of seeking and understanding going you know deep into the uh the nootropics route and deep into the spiritual route and going into and going outwards for you is for you like what is your what is your like holy grail like what do you hope to achieve by all of this effort that you're doing in this this seeking phases and 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 say around what you're doing with neurohacker what is it you hope to achieve by all the effort you're putting in this space um that's a really good question. I think, you know, from a fairly young age, like I just became aware of and attuned to the amount of hardship and suffering that people go through. Um, and in many ways, my goal is to alleviate that as much as possible, right? To give people the kinds of 
you know, through Neurohacker, the right kinds of you know, chemistry to support a better quality of life, one that increases that subjective experience of feeling better about who they are, feeling better about how they experience and perceive the world, feeling better about their relationship to the world. Um, and with that, so, it's like, so there's this deep orientation around how do we how do we improve the quality of life? How do we improve the subjective experience of being human at the individual level? And then how do we also orient that and move it in the direction of a greater collective good? Mm. So now as more and more people start to feel progressively better about themselves, happier, more intelligent, more capable, then how do you also add the element of purpose by directing that newer experience of a better quality of life to a greater sense of contribution. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. It sounds like it, it's so funny because it, it, conversations sometimes go full circle here and, and looking at what you did in the original point where as, as an individual, as a, as a person that had a, had purpose in his life, but then was suffering physically and psychologically be, because of just the grind you did, and then healing yourself. And then you could then take that power that you gain from healing yourself and then reapply it to another purpose and another mission to drive you along the way. You essentially are oddly enough, making a collective, a neurohacking collective, if you would, of people that are all healing their bodies so that they can collectively come together and push on their purposes and be able to affect the world at large. Yeah. 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 That's beautiful. Exactly. It, if that's the case, right, if that's what you're, that's the Holy grail, um, as, I, as I call it, what is the dragon? What is the thing so difficult either for you or for others to overcome, to be able to make that Holy grail possible? Um, I mean, I guess maybe two initial dragons come to mind, right? The first mm -hmm. is just getting over myself. Um, <laughs> right? It's like a lot of the things that I'm trying to do in the world are these very lofty goals and the purpose is deeply inspiring, but I still have all of the human wounded elements. You know, there's a lot of healing that's happened and there's a lot that hasn't yet. And so there are times where it's like, I'm trying to do these huge things and I'm going deeply into imposter syndrome or I'm going into like, oh, this is too big. Can I actually do this? Right? So it's like, there's, there's this constant development process in myself that I'm having to go through to be able to you know, stay on course with this big, beautiful vision and be capable and willing to show up to it every day. And some days that's really easy and some days it's really fucking hard. <laughs> right? um, so it's like, I think in many ways, like one of the core dragons that I know I experience, and I think most people do is it's like, just how do we navigate our own internal complexity to stay on a sense of purpose. Um, mm. And then I think the other one that presents is, is sort of more of a market thing where it's like, what we're trying to do is, is really quite unique. And we've invested tremendously in you know, science teams and research and all of you know, studies to be able to, to like really advance the whole field. Um, but 
we're often met with a lot of skepticism and I think rightfully so, because there is so much that's pitched in the market that has no real scientific evidence behind it. And in many cases, doesn't actually even have a meaningfully positive intent. But they, unless you dive in deeply, they often look kind of the same at face value. Right? Yeah. You see different products out in the market and they kind of all say the same things because those are the only things you're allowed to say under FDA regulations. <laughs> um, but unless you actually dive in and really get to understand it or get to see the difference in the level of research, it's like, there is this, um, you know, there's this healthy skepticism that people have developed. And, you know, like it's, it's a thing to like constantly work on breaking through of helping people realize that, you know, what we're doing is not the same marketing driven thing that is often viewed somewhat negatively, but it's actually a fundamentally like new approach to research to genuinely up-level the quality of life of people at scale. Internal, external, internal is imposter syndrome, which is man, I got, I, we have whole no podcast on just that topic. Other one is the wading through the, the uh, hype from the value and, and, and segmenting yourself from this, from the, from the people that just kind of, Hey, that's effective. Oh yeah, we do that too. And it's just a box of rocks, you know? So <laughs> right. I love it. Uh, so with that being said, um, is there anything else you'd like to people uh, know about? I know you have a new uh, product you're working on and, and what, what would you like to share um, with the community? Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess we didn't we didn't dive too deeply into various products. We we did talk about cognition. Um, you know, like we mentioned, like one of our other really big areas of focus is longevity. Mm -hmm. um, I'm personally very interested in that because I realize how much more I know each decade. And I want to keep experiencing that. Um, but yeah, on on the topic of longevity, we did recently launch a new product called Polyacenolytic. Uh, which basically helps to purge senescent cells from the body. These are cells that have gone past the point of being healthy and being able yeah. to replicate um, and essentially take up resources without providing any value while speeding up the aging process. Wow. Um, it's like the very kind of cutting edge of anti-aging medicine right now. Um, but it's turned out to be an extraordinary product that you know, even in a handful of months it's been out, we've seen it helping people in tons of different ways. Um, you know, probably most noticeably in terms of uh, improvements in sort of joint health and pain levels. Uh, but yeah, I think, oh, no. uh, you know, without, without taking up more time to dive into the science, it's a, it's a super, super interesting area that's worth exploring. And, you know, at minimum, I would say go to the website and read some of the articles to understand it, yeah. whether or not you buy the product. And using the product has pretty meaningfully positive effects in short order. If, what, what are the benefits of, of clearing out the system from these, from these things? You say they're taking up resources. Is that what, is that what the, the benefits of um, purging these unused systems? Yeah. So, so senescent cells are often referred to as zombie cells, right? In more layman terms. And it's yeah. because they're not, they're not really alive anymore, but they're also not quite dead, right? So mm -hmm. they're still in the system. They're still taking up all the resources that could be going into healthier cells, but without providing any benefit. 
But the mm. even bigger issue is that once a cell becomes senescent, it starts to emit a series of chemicals, which then turn the other cells around it senescent. Oh. So not only is it taking up resources, but it's actually meaningfully <laughs> speeding up the process of aging by causing all the surrounding cells to become senescent. Yeah. Um, and so there's like the body's supposed to be able to naturally purge senescent cells. And to some extent it always does, but as we age, we become less and less capable of it, particularly as immune function tends to go down as we age. Mm. Um, and so being able to take certain compounds that can target senescent cells in all the different tissues of the body, because there is no compound that actually addresses them broadly. There's a series of them that are needed to address senescent cells in you know, joint tissue, uh, you know, skin tissue, eye, et cetera. Right? So we created this kind of complex formula that has a series of different compounds to be able to get senescent cells out of all the major tissues in the body. Um, and it, you know, even in like the near term subjective effect, people start feeling healthier. They start, you know, having better joint mobility and all these kinds of things. And, you know, as you extrapolate that over duration, the probability that it adds significant time to life, but even more importantly, just quality of life to whatever years are here is really quite meaningful. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. We actually so. have uh, one study published on the website on that product and we're in the middle of another one right now. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, uh, anti-aging is absolutely huge. I mean, it's one of the most important. Again, it, you, all you have is time. It's all you got. And so, right. you know, be able to extend it any way, shape, or form. And people don't always know what options are out there. So, and then, I mean, I looked a little bit into it, but obviously not not as deeply. So it's, it's nice to have studies to look at and be able to reference. And I know you have a science section on your page that people can go into and, and scroll through that and see all that stuff that's there. It's beautiful. Uh, is is there any other any other um, products on your page that you're that you're excited to share? Anyone let people know about? Um, I mean, so my, well, I mean, I, I take all of our products, but like my favorite ones personally are Qualia Mind, which is our broad spectrum cognitive enhancement product. Um, there's no way that I could have done all of the various companies and projects with that much complexity without that support. Um, but then also our, our other anti-aging product, Qualia Life. It's this incredible mitochondrial formula um, helping to dramatically increase in AD levels that we talked about, mm -hmm. um, increases ATP, AMPK, a whole number of other things, uh, but basically just makes cells work better, which in turn improves all of health. Um, and like those are probably the two products that I take most almost religiously because there's just such a noticeable impact on my day-to-day -day life experience as a result of taking them um, and that's what we hear in customer feedback and what we see in the studies as well um, so yeah. at this point mind. we have a kind of pretty broad array of products and things to be able to help people in number yes. areas so it's like look at what your need is but to me, I think those are kind of the two you know, gold standards to look at. Yeah. It's got to be funny making your own pharmacy over there. You know, you're like, hey, what else do I want? Mom, I want to be able to have a healthy mind, healthy. I'm an anti-agent. So you just 
got a bunch of chemists in the corner, you know, breaking bad style, just cooking up stuff. But <laughs> it is kind of like that. Yeah. I mean, we've got a really cool lab in the office and That's awesome. a whole team of amazing chemists working on it. And it's a little more professional than Breaking Bad. But, you know, oh, yeah. That's, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> we have an actual lab instead of, you know, an RV. But... Yeah, two, two barrels in an RV. Yeah, totally. That's great. Well, it's incredible. Um, and here's the, if, if uh, James, if people want to find out about this, if people want to learn about the science, if people want to get a hold of you, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, I mean, so best way on pretty much all that is go to neurohacker.com. Um, we've got, you know, all the different product offerings there, um, an incredible amount of research. Like you can go, you know, you can kind of see things at a surface level or dive all the way into like PhD level research. Um, and you know, lots and lots of different educational content on, you know, the cutting edge of health psychology. Um, but also we, we go pretty deeply into like what could a more informed future person of civilization look like? Um, so it's, you know, how do you enhance every aspect of who you are as an individual physically and psychoemotionally, but then as that's enhancing, what are some of the potential applications for that in the bigger collective kind of sense? Um, so it's, it's very much worth going to the website, whether or not you end up getting the products, there's an incredible amount of educational content there. That's beautiful. So uh, you heard it. If you want to be a neurohacking superhuman, you know where you need to go. So thank you so much, James. I appreciate your time, brother. It's been an honor and a pleasure, my friend. And I'll, I'll see you on the other side. Thank you, Dylan. This was really good. Appreciate Absolutely. you having me on. Absolutely, brother. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Heroes of Reality podcast. Check out heroesofreality.com for more episodes. While you're there, you can also take the Heroes Quiz to find out what kind of hero you are. Or, if you have a great story and want to be on the podcast, tell us why your hero's journey will inspire others. Thank you for listening. See you on the other side.